So we are starting a new sermon series today on the book of Ezekiel. How many of you have ever heard Ezekiel preached on in any way, shape, or form? It is an obscure book of the Bible. Yeah, there's just a few of us. Um, there are some kind of texts that you may hear of as we go through, like, oh yeah, I didn't know that was in Ezekiel. It is a rather obscure book, uh, but Ezekiel is one of the prophets. There's a significant chunk of the scriptures that are concerned with his witness, but there's a lot of kind of setting the table before we can really dive into Ezekiel. And so the word that I want us to talk about as we dive in together is crisis. Can you say that with me? Crisis. Crisis is not a word that we often like or that we necessarily want to move toward, but it allows us to kind of enter into this conversation. So when's the last time you or somebody you love faced a crisis? Just think about that for a minute. What was a crisis that you've had to encounter? A little bit of kind of congregational participation. What are crises that we see in the world right now? What what would you name as a crisis? Something that is bubbling over, something that is difficult, it's kind of becoming unmanageable. What is a crisis today? Anybody? Yemen. Yemen. There's a crisis in Yemen, civil war. Immigration. Yeah, there's a crisis at our border. We've heard that in the news cycle for sure. Divisions just within our society. Other crises that we hear about? Hong Kong. Yeah, lots of protests. The environment. There's a crisis that uh, is mounting around our globe, for sure. Some options that I kind of came up with, um, and these are a little bit more kind of interpersonal. Divorce is a crisis. Bankruptcy. Losing a home. Losing your business. There are crises that hit us individually, There are crises that you guys named that are global. There's a regional crisis, many would say, around homelessness. The last time our nation truly was gripped by a crisis, and there's there's crises that are going on in different forms right now. Some would say we have a sort of an era of political crisis or a border crisis. Those things are definitely out there. But one that touched every life, at least the last one that I can think of that really deeply impacted my life, was the 2008 financial crisis. So I was in grad school during that time, and it gutted so many things in my life. They had to change the course offerings at my seminary because they lost a ton of money. Business plummeted. I was working in downtown Tacoma. People were laid off. They were walking out of their jobs with little to nothing left in their pockets. Everyone's life, you could argue, was touched at some level by the financial crisis. And what I want to make a point about in talking about that specifically is... If you look back in the lens of history, what happened to precipitate the 2008 financial crisis was a rotting from within. If you want to write that phrase down, that phrase is going to come up as we talk about Ezekiel. There was a rotting from within. What does that mean? During the lead up to the 08 financial crisis, even as, even as recently as 2007, the financial services industry was just like a rocket ship taking off. Profits were through the roof. Stuff was going crazy. Have you ever heard of a Nina loan? It's called a no-income, no-asset loan. You could get loans at that time with no income and no assets on the books. You could just get a mortgage. It was crazy. But that created a rotting from within, within our financial system, because so much of what people were investing in was stuff that was based on really bad financial tools. It was stuff that was being presented and repackaged as trustworthy, but inside it was rotten. It wasn't working. That caused a near collapse of our financial system, rotted from within. 
The nation of Israel, God's beloved people, his family, they were chosen to show the world justice and love and mercy and righteousness. And at this time, when Ezekiel the prophet comes on the scene, they are experiencing a crisis of being rotted from within. And we'll talk about how that kind of came to be. What you need to know as we start is, Israel, God's people, are in crisis. Ezekiel is called in to lead during that crisis. Now notice I said lead. He's not called in to fix it. God's going to fix it, but he is called in to lead and help shape a people in the midst of that. And so today we're going to talk about how did he kind of arrive there, how did the people of Israel get there, and what was the nature of his calling in the midst of that. So there's a three-part outline in your bulletin. I'd encourage you to take a look at that. If you'd like to take notes, go right ahead. The outline goes like this. What happened? Always a good question to ask. What happened? Ezekiel's calling. And then just application. Like, how do we apply this to our lives? Our thesis maybe for this series, certainly for this morning, is that when we take our eyes off of God, stuff goes sideways. When we take our eyes off of God, when I take my eyes off of God, stuff in my life goes sideways. And that is writ large for the people of Israel in our text today. So let's get into the first part, what happened. As Ryan encouraged you a moment ago, open up your Bibles to Ezekiel chapter 2. No shame in having to look up where Ezekiel is in the table of contents. I had to do that this week too. Now here's the context. If you go back to Genesis chapter 12, God has created the heavens and the earth, and then this man Abraham comes on the scene, and he is the father of God's people. God says, I want to choose to bring about a kind of way of life into the world that shows my rule and reign. Abraham, you're the chief of those people. He says this, I will bless you, I will make your name great, and I will bless others through you. That's a phenomenal commissioning, right? Like, that's a great thing to be set off to go do. You're going to be blessed. You're going to go bless other people. That's terrific. Well, that goes well for a few centuries. And around the 6th century BCE, things start to go off the rails. There's a lot of different factors. I am vastly oversimplifying Old Testament history. My seminary professors would probably be appalled at how simplistic this is. But what you need to know is that the people of Israel go from being the holy people of God, that Abraham was the father of many nations, to the laughingstock of the nations. They're divided by an ugly civil war. They become two separate nations for a time. Israel is the name of the nation in the north. Judah is the nation in the south. Both nations are served by corrupt leaders who are rotten from the inside. They don't love the Lord. They worship pagan gods. Eventually, Israel, the northern kingdom, goes away. They are assimilated into the Assyrian Empire. They cease to be or to look like the people of God. They're they're gone. The southern kingdom, Judah, is the last one left. They live on, but they're in really big trouble because the core is rotten. They're in exile in Babylon, and they're in one of the darkest places in the history of God's people. So gone are the great days of kings like David and Solomon. Gone are the judges. Gone is the land that they were promised and inhabited for generations. Remember the land flowing with milk and honey, the land promised to Moses. They've lived there, and they've been ripped away from there. And remember this, we've talked about this a couple of times. In 586 BCE, this is a huge date in Israel's history. It's their 9-11. The temple is destroyed. This place where they belong, this place where they felt like, I can go worship here, I can meet God here. This is a special and sacred place for me. It's destroyed. It is torn to pieces by the Babylonians. And then the people of Israel are carried off into captivity, literally in chains, as they go live in a land that's not their own. If you're the people of Israel, how do you feel? There's no king, 
There's no land. There's no temple. There's no leadership. These are dark days. What, what would you feel? Share, shout out a feeling. What would be something that you would feel if all that had been taken away from you? Your home, your work, your purpose, the familiar territory. What would you feel? You'd feel doubt. Absolutely. What else? You'd feel adrift. Uh-huh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We messed this up. Mm-hmm. Despair. That's good. Disappointment, fear, shell-shocked, hopelessness. Now, why is it important to name those feelings? We're talking about history. We're talking about the Israelites. Why is it important to talk about how a group of people might feel? It could. It could happen again. It is important to name these feelings because it will help us enter into the story of who God has called to help get things going in a better direction. You see, here's, what something, here's something really unique about Ezekiel. There are other prophets in the Old and New Testament. There are people who come on the scene to declare the truth of God. Prophets typically aren't popular. They're not invited to the company Christmas party because they just yell out things that are not usually appealing to people, but it's the truth. Ezekiel is a prophet. Today's text is about his call to be a prophet. But what we wouldn't know about Ezekiel if we hadn't done the study is he was trained to be a priest. He was in training to become a priest of the people of Israel. And what is a priest supposed to do in their best form? What is someone who serves you pastorally supposed to do? They're supposed to feel what you feel. They're supposed to come beside you in your life. Hey, I'm your neighbor. I see you at the grocery store. I know what's going on. Like Taylor mentioned earlier, we are part of this church so we can be in relationship and do life together in this smaller setting. And it's wonderful. But a priest cannot distance themselves from the feelings of the people they serve. If you are in leadership, in your company, in your household, in a different part of our city, if you work at a hospital, if you're a teacher, if you have any kind of responsibility whatsoever, any leadership that's been entrusted to you, my challenge for you is do you feel what the people you serve feel? And it's not easy to do. It's not something we trip and fall into. This is going to be something that Ezekiel struggles with as he serves the people of God because they're stubborn, because they are rough, because they are rebellious. We'll talk about how to deal with that in just a minute. But the point I'm trying to make here is that Ezekiel is so with them that he feels what they feel, and that's good leadership. And you can't take responsibility for other people's feelings and you know all that kind of thing. But the application step I want to emphasize for us is that if you're in leadership, do you feel what the people you serve feel? Have you asked, hey, how are you feeling today? When I sit and have one-to-one conversations with the people that I serve, I have to discipline myself to do this because I want to just get after our tasks, but I really want to ask, how are you feeling today? How's your day? Like, what, what's, what's been going on in your life? How has God been teaching you? That requires us to slow down, to get off of our task-oriented nature sometimes. It requires us to be present, put your phone away, close your screen, focus. And I think that's a calling that God's people can live into no matter what setting you're in. So wherever you work, wherever you go, however God has entrusted leadership to you, would you consider this week listening to the feelings of people around you and just saying, I hear you. You're not going to go fix stuff, you're just going to hear it. Because I believe that's the calling of the people of God. I believe that's one of the things that Ezekiel models for us. And as we step into his story a little bit more to talk about his calling, this is point two now, 
Feelings are going to come up again and again. Feelings are deeply important to how the people progress through this. So Ezekiel's a prophet. He's in captivity with the people in Babylon. On his 30th birthday, he's supposed to be finishing up his training as a priest. He's got his graduation cap and gown on. He's ready to step into the role. He's sitting by the river in Babylon, and this absolutely bananas vision comes to him. If you've read any bit of Ezekiel, you've probably been like, whoa, that's crazy. How crazy? Go read Ezekiel 1. That's your homework assignment. Go read it. It's crazy. But it's an amazing view into God's glory and power, and we'll unpack some of that as we go. Chapter 2 is where I want us to pick up the text. So again, open up your Bibles with me, Ezekiel 2. God starts speaking to Ezekiel. He sees this vision, and then God kind of says, hey, uh, let's talk. (laughs) Crazy vision, I got your attention, let's talk. And here's what God says. Ryan just read this for us, but I'm going to read it for us again. Starting in verse 1, God said to me, O mortal, stand up on your feet, and I will speak with you. And when he spoke to me, a spirit entered into me and set me on my feet, and I heard him speaking to me. He said to me, mortal, I'm sending you to the people of Israel, to a nation of rebels who've rebelled against me. And their ancestors have transgressed against me to this very day. The descendants are impudent and stubborn. There's an insult for you this week. You are impudent and stubborn. I am sending you to them, and you shall say to them, thus says the Lord God, whether they hear or refuse to hear, for their rebellious house, they shall know that there has been a prophet among them. God says to Ezekiel, I am sending you. Will you say that with me? I am sending you. Maybe you can relate to that. Maybe you've had an experience like that. Have you ever been kind of thinking about your future, thinking about the place where you could go and serve, or you're looking at a bunch of career options, you're in college, you're trying to figure out what's next, and you just feel like you're drawn towards something. Maybe you're drawn toward medicine. Maybe you're drawn toward teaching. Maybe you weren't drawn toward anything and you're going, oh gosh, is he going to tell me that I made the wrong choice about my calling? No. Calling is that place where your heart and your passion align with the great needs in God's world. Where we can effectively use the gifts and talents that we've been given in such a way that ministers to and cares for people who are at a place of need. Whatever that looks like. So if you're creating software programs, even if it's for a business, even if it's just you know, profit-centered, you are creating something. You are using your God-given creativity to bless and serve other people. And that's a legitimate calling. If you're teaching, oh man, you are intersecting a deep place of need in our community. If you're doing medicine, you are helping to heal people. There's so many ways to express God's call. Ezekiel thought, God's call to me is I'm gonna go be a priest. I'm gonna take care of people. The temple gets wiped out. How do you be a priest without a temple? The people that you serve are the temple. Not that they become this object of worship, but they become sort of the boundary in which a church without a building, does this sound familiar, then becomes something that we live into by being in community with one another. Ezekiel was called into this moment. God says, I am sending you. And Ezekiel's going, I'm standing right here in Babylon. I don't know what you mean. And that's okay. Sometimes calling can be very confusing. Have you ever been called to something? I'm not sure why, but I really, I need to go do this. And it can be a little thing. Maybe it's, I need to go talk to my neighbor. I don't know why. I can't get them out of my head today. The Holy Spirit keeps nudging me, and I'm like, stop it, stop it. I want to keep doing my thing. That can be a simple expression of calling that God wants you to live into this week. 
I'm not sure why, but I've, I, I need to apply for this job. I need to go look at this. This is out of my comfort zone. It's above my pay grade. I do not have the qualifications, but I'm supposed to go do this. Now, I'm not saying everything that we feel that way about is the call of God. By no means am I saying that. Calling is shaped by community. It's influenced by the people around you. It's shaped through prayer and discernment and reading the scriptures. Like, you shouldn't be called to do things that break the laws of God. But it should always be something that we bring to God with fear and trembling. One of my challenges is, when I feel God nudging me towards something or someone, I adult it to death. I'm using adult as a verb here. I adult things. Let me explain what I mean. If I feel like God's nudging me to say, go talk to that person. This happened to me the other day. I was out on a run. I ran by this couple as they were walking. And I think, I think God's nudging me to go talk to them. And I just kept on running. And I'm wrestling with it as I'm running. I'm like, oh gosh, I don't want to go back. It's not, I don't have time and I got to get home and I got blah, blah, blah. That's adulting. Because I'm telling myself in my high level sense of responsibility, like I don't have time to do this work, God. Get someone else to do it. And God's like, Really? (laughs) Really? Like right there. You could have just stopped and talked. I don't know what God wanted for me to do in that moment. I don't feel this like deep sense of shame and regret. I feel this desire to get it right next time. Does that make sense? So don't adult the call of God this week. If you get nudged or poked or prodded by the Holy Spirit and it's not leading you towards sin, go. Go, go. Go step into it. Don't adult it. Don't talk yourself out of it. I believe that one of the seasons we are stepping into as a church is an increasingly open-handedness to the call of God where we say, I'm going to have faith like a child right now. I'm going to have childlike faith. Remember, we talked about this a few weeks ago when we talked about Jesus' invitation to the children, let the children come to me and what? Do not hinder them. That's us too. Adulting will hinder us as we try to live into the call of God. So don't do it this week. Take an opportunity this week. If you're inspired, if God puts something in front of you and you go, there's no way you want me to go do this, God. Pray about it. Talk to him about it. Talk to a trusted friend about it. But don't adult it. Say, God, I think you're calling me toward this. And with an open hand, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm going to try to step into it. And let me just say this as a clarification point too. This is so clear in the text, and I wish we had more time to go into it deeply. But God tells Ezekiel, this is going to be really hard. How does he describe the people of Israel? As rebellious. He calls them rebellious rebels. That's not like a pun. That is an emphasis of a particular word to use as a literary technique. This is bad. Like these people are like varsity rebels. They are going to kick you in the teeth. They are not going to pay attention to you. If you have children, you're like, "Mm mm-hmm, I get it. If you are called to something, it is going to be hard. Let me say that again because I believe we have a false narrative in our culture around calling. If you think you're called to something, it will be hard. It doesn't mean you're wrong. It doesn't mean that in pursuing that calling, stuff is going to go easier for you. I'm a pastor, and a lot of people think my job exists on Sundays, and the rest of the week I just sit around twiddling my thumbs. Let me tell you that I am called to this, and it is hard. And I love each and every one of you. I'm not singling anybody out. If I was looking at you while I was saying that, I wasn't picking on you. (laughs) But if you are called to it, it will be hard. If you are called to teaching, if you are called to medicine, if you are called to being home full-time with your children, you know this, and I don't have to tell it to you, but I kind of do, it's going to be hard. Ezekiel is called to something incredibly hard. God even says to him, they're probably not going to listen to you. 
The metric for your success should not be whether they listen to you. The metric for your success is, as he says in verse 5, they listened and they knew that there was a prophet in their midst. Period. So if your calling this week feels really, really hard, you're in good company. And if you're struggling with it, if you're like, should I stay? Should I go? I'm looking at some new jobs. I don't know. Don't let difficulty in calling talk you out of it. Hang in there. Stick with it. In my times of distress, in my times of anxiety and despair, the things that have meant the most to me is when I've met with someone a lot more mature than me and they've said to me, just keep going. Just stay in the saddle. Don't quit. Don't, don't. Just stay in there. That's a word of application, I think, for all of us. If you're called to it, it's going to be hard sometimes. Hang in there. Now, let's talk about one or two more pieces of application before we wrap up. Verses 1 through 5 are about a stubborn and impudent people. Does anybody work with stubborn and impudent people? Does anybody live with stubborn and impudent people? If you live with me, you say, yes, that's me. How do you deal with people who are stubborn and rebellious? If you're thinking about it in terms of the workplace, you might be going, that's HR's problem. That's not my problem. Oh, but it is. Because our discipleship, how we are changed to be more like Christ, comes through the people who rub us the wrong way. It comes through the bosses we don't like. It comes through the students who challenge us. It does not come through the friction-free existence that we tell ourselves we deserve. It comes through what Ezekiel experiences, which is a group of people that don't want to listen and that get really mad at him. If you are stepping into things like that, you may be stepping into exactly what God has called you to do and to be. How do you engage with someone who is stubborn and rebellious? Very briefly, you learn what makes them that way and you see yourself in them. You learn what makes them that way and you see yourself in them. First part is very self-explanatory. You learn what makes them that way. If you have someone that works with you or works for you who just bothers you, what do you know about their story? What do you know about their life? What do you know about the challenges that they're in the midst of? Maybe very little, right? This is one of the shadow sides of our sort of professional distance from one another. Like, oh, I don't want to ask this person about their life or their marriage because that might be offensive, blah, 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 blah. It's offensive that we don't know more about our people. It's offensive that we don't know more about our neighbors or what they're going through because we weren't meant to live that way. One of the ways that you learn to engage with someone who is stubborn and rebellious is you learn what makes them that way. In Ezekiel's case, he's part of the tribe. He's a member of the people of Israel. So he kind of knows. And as we get into the text more and more over the next few weeks, it's going to challenge us because every time a word of judgment comes down on the people of Israel, Ezekiel's standing there going, that's me too. That's, That's me. I am just as disobedient and stubborn as anybody else. So he has to own part of that. Would you step into that this week and think about serving the people that are in front of you by actually getting to know them and learning what makes them a thorn in your side? The second part's a lot harder. And it's trying to see yourself in people who bug you. Trying to see yourself in these places of stubbornness and rebelliousness. Case in point, when I was in seminary, uh, I worked uh, as a chaplain intern in a hospital. So I got to wander around and talk to people in a hospital. For some of you, that's like, don't ever tell me to go do that. I really enjoyed it. I really enjoy the clinical environment. I, it's, it's given me so many kind of places of empathy for people who work and serve in hospitals regularly. I think those are holy places where God does amazing things. And so my job was to go sit with people and just talk to them. And if they wanted me to pray for them, I would pray for them. That's it. 
This was a, a Catholic hospital down in Tacoma. And so one of my very first patients, one of the first people I ever visited with, was this elderly lady, and she had some kind of condition. I can't even remember what. But she kept saying, it's not a big deal, I'll be out of here soon. Right? And you've had this happen, right? Where someone's like, oh, I'm not that sick, I'm fine, you know, whatever. And then later on you find out, like, ooh, they're really not doing good. I read a little bit of kind of her history. She shared her history with me. She was not going to get out of there anytime soon. But here she is telling me, it's okay, it's not a big deal, sweetie, how are you? Like, you know, blah, 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 blah. Nice conversation, sweet woman, but I found myself getting really agitated at her. Like, internally. I'm sure I was displaying it externally a little bit as well, because I'm not that savvy. But, like, I felt myself kind of getting mad. And I'm like, what's going on? All she's doing is telling me, like, I'm, I'm fine, don't worry about it, blah, 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 blah. I go back and I talk with my supervisor, Chaplain Judy. Chaplain Judy is one of the saints in my life, an amazing woman. Had been a chaplain at that hospital for 17 years. Love those people so well. I go back to her and I tell her, Chaplain Judy, I don't get this. I'm sitting with this lady and I'm getting frustrated and she's not going to get out of here anytime soon. Why doesn't she realize this? What's wrong with her? And Judy looks at me and she says, who does she remind you of? Who does she remind you of? That changed the way that I pastor people. It changed the way that I interact with others. Because when I was able to put it together, I had to think to myself, she reminds me of one of my grandmas. And we all have people in our lives like this that are like, because they love us, they don't want us to know how sick they are. Right? Like, that was my grandma. She's like, I'm fine, I'm fine. She'd go off and smoke a few cigarettes. I'm like, you're not fine. This is not okay. Hey, this is my grandma. But she, this patient in the hospital reminded me of my grandma. So someone who was stubborn and aggravated me and I couldn't figure it out and why am I getting so mad, I had to see part of myself in that relationship and I had to ask myself the question, who does this person remind me of? Guys, this is our leadership assignment this week. If you've got people in your life who are stubborn and annoying, one, join the club. I'm not talking about any of you. I'm just talking about in general. Ask yourself, what do I know about that person? What's their story? How do they get this way? And then, how's my story playing out in my interaction with them? Ezekiel has to do this multiple times throughout this prophecy, throughout this book of the Bible. There's actually one point where he looks out at the people and he's so frustrated at them. This is in chapter 20. Because they don't listen to his preaching. And God challenges him. God calls him to account in that moment. And I think part of what's kicking around in Ezekiel in that moment is, did I get this wrong? Did I mess this up? What am I supposed to learn here? Those are the questions that we need to be going and asking of ourselves. So the people of God, Bethany, this is us. When we stop looking at God, our lives go sideways. The people of Israel, they got rotted to the core. So one of my encouragements for us this week is pay attention to the core. You work for a company, you work for a school, you're part of a family, pay attention to the core. Is the core starting to get rotten? Is your company starting to slide away from the principles and the vision that it was founded on? Is your teaching starting to become, just get me out of here, it's almost the end of the school year, I'm done? Pay attention to your core. And hold out before God, like, I think my core is starting to get a little rotten, God. I need your help. Calling will be difficult sometimes. It's not necessarily your fault. If you're called to it, it's going to be hard, and it's not your fault all the time when it gets hard. When you encounter difficult people, ask yourself, what's their story? How do I see myself in them? Who do they remind me of? What do I need to do? 
And the last encouragement is just to take the next faithful step. If you're in a season in your calling and it feels like Ezekiel, like the nation of Israel is in tatters and turmoil, it's chaos, it's a crisis where you are, do not be afraid. That's in verses six and seven of the text. God says to Ezekiel over and over again, these people aren't gonna listen to you, but do not be afraid. These people are gonna fight you tooth and nail, but do not be afraid. Follow the example of Jesus Christ. You think his calling was easy? Do you think when he walked toward the cross, when he entered Jerusalem, when he saw these people cheering for him, do you think he's like, oh, I feel good about this now? No. His calling, our calling, is to move toward those things that would challenge us and befuddle us that we don't know what to do, but to move toward it like God says to Ezekiel over and over again, do not be afraid. God has given you an opportunity to live into your calling this week, church. Do not be afraid. Go step into it with courage. And let's do this together. Please join me in prayer. Gracious God, thank you for this word. For many of us, it may be a hard word because we're fine. We're happy in our calling. Nothing's going wrong. And if so, great. But if that's not the reality, if we're kind of kidding ourselves and things are tough, if things are rotten at the core, Would you bring us to a place where we can really accept and embrace what you're doing? To see things as they really are? To hold loosely this sense of, you've called me to medicine, you've called me to finance, you've called me to teaching. Because in that, you want to shape us and mold us more than you want us to do any one thing. You want us to become the people you've made us to be. So help us. Help us live into that with courage. Like Ezekiel did, help us to live into our callings And help us remind ourselves, you've said it, Lord, do not fear. May that be so today. May your Holy Spirit fuel us for encounters with you and for encouragement and for the opportunity to serve the people that we lead with love in the week ahead. We ask in the name of Christ. Amen.